Good morning everybody. I Snegdha Sharma. I'm going to present the Hindu editorial dated 17th May 2021. This podcast is for those who do not have time to read newspaper themselves. The analysis of the podcast is given on the last segment of the podcast. Let's get started. Happy preparation. The road from Ladakh is paved with disruption. China and India ties are moving to a zone of problems even as New Delhi grapples with pandemic related issues. This article is written by Sushant Singh. It has been a year since the news of tensions between India and China Chinese troops on the LAC in Ladakh first broke. dismissed as a routine event in the first few weeks by officials truth about the extent of chinese ingress could no longer be hidden when india lost 20 soldiers in a violent clash with soldiers of the people's liberation army that is pla in mid june as has been evident from commercial satellite imagery sparse official statement and a few interviews the crisis eventually involved seven places that was depsang place Galwan, Gogra, Hot Spring, North Bank of Bangkok, Bangong So, Kailash Range, and Dimshok. Border crisis. The situation at Galwan was resolved a few weeks after the deadly clash, and the two sides disengaged from the face of sight. The Indian Army had occupied certain heights on the Kailash Range in the end of August, where it was in an eye-to-ball eye. eyeball confrontation with the chinese in february this year the two sides agreed to disengage from this location and from the north bank of pangong so this was announced by india's defense minister in parliament where he also said that the two armies will convene the next meeting of the senior commanders within 48 hours after the complete disengagement in the pangong lake area to address and resolve all other remaining issues the last such meeting of commanders was held on april 9th but the chinese have refused to even discuss the remaining issue such an outcome was not entirely unexpected it was written in this newspaper looking after the ladakh walk back the india had lost its only leverage on the kailash range for the sake of disengagement on the north bank This happened pin after India reversed its position of simultaneously resolving all the flashpoints in Ladakh rather than deal with them piecemeal. India's military rationale was evident. With soldiers and tanks of the two armies barely a few meters apart, the situation was explosive and could escalate into a major crisis with minor incident or accident. It was also clear that by restricting itself to its own side of the LAC on the Kailash Range, India had not taken control of the more dominating peaks like the Black Top and had a weak hand to play with. Politically, the Narendra Modi government seemed keen to announce a closure of the border crisis by creating the impression of an honorable solution against a major power. Three months later, no such disclosure is in sight. with the pla troops denying india access to territories it controlled by patrolling the government's avoid aim of restoring the status quo ante as of april 2020 remains unfulfilled unfulfilled even on the north bank of uh, pangong a new status quo has been created where the patrolling rights are yet to be restored similarly the kailash range has been neither de-escalation 
or not deemed action so far in each statement both india and china reiterate the need to ensure peace and tranquility in border areas even if there have been no further deaths after june and no firing after early september the peace on the border is both unstable and unsustainable ongoing tensions with massive deployments on each side believe any hope of belay any hope of tranquility that the security establishment in new delhi is cognizant of the vola volatility and risk can be gauged from the fact that the indian army has undertaken a major reorientation of its units and formation towards the china border covid-19 and geopolitics even as the situation on the border poses a tricky challenge for india its geopolitical concerns have been exacerbated by the devastation caused by the mismanagement of covid-19 through its vaccine maitri program new delhi was presenting itself a better alternative to beijing's vaccine diplomacy particularly in south asia shaken by a sense of massive suffering and public criticism the modi government has backtracked on existing contractual commitments to supply vaccines to its friendly neighbors countries such as bangladesh and sri lanka have started procuring vaccines from china further casting doubts on india's reliability as a partner and raising questions about its ability to act as a counter to china sensing the opportunity beijing also moved in quickly organizing a meeting with all south asian countries except india ostensibly to deal with the pandemic new delhi was also the linchpin of the quad's pledge to deliver a billion doses of covid-19 vaccine throughout the indo pacific by the end of 2022 an effort focused on the countering china's influence in the region with india now trying to import vaccine for its own population and the reneging on its commitments to other poor countries under GAVI's COVAX scheme the proposal now seemed to be a weak footing the abysmal failure of the modi government to anticipate and deal with public health crisis had diminished india's aura as an emergent power a prime minister's tom toming the mantra of atmanirbharta or self reliance has been forced to reverse a 16 year old policy to accept global aid has laid bare india's vulnerabilities a further reducing its standing as the quad's anchor a weaker india is not only less attractive as a partner globally it makes new delhi more dependent on the united states to deal with china that india has been acting at the behest of the us has been one of the china's presumptions and this would only confirm beijing's worst fears it would further strain india china ties directly linking them to the vagaries of the china us relationship The hypothesis that India can safeguard its land borders by strengthening its oceanic powers could then be put to a test, a scenario New Delhi wants to avoid at all costs. Meanwhile, the threat of true front collusive threats after the Ladakh crisis forced the Modi government to seek peace with Pakistan. The back channel talks facilitated by the United Arab Emirates led to the announcement of the ceasefire on the line of control which has held so far. But there have been contradictory voices emerging from Islamabad and the process seems to be floundering as Pakistan awaits the steps on Kashmir promised by the Modi government. No political environment has been created in India for any such step so far. New Delhi's preoccupation with the pandemic may brook a delay of few weeks but fears of failure are routine happening in India Pakistan engagements loom large. 
इट इज हार्ड टू प्रिडिक्ट द पाकिस्तानी कोर्स ऑफ एक्शन हेन्स बट इफ द पास्ट इज एन एक्सपीरियंस टू गो बाय इट हैज यूजली बीन स्पाइटफुल रेकलेस एंड डेंजरस स्पेशली वेन इंडिया इज सीन एज वीक कपल्ड विद इमिनेट अमेरिकन मिलिट्री विदड्रॉल फ्रॉम अफगानिस्तान एंड अ विन फॉर द तालिबान द साइंस आर ओमिनस an assertive china and a vengeful pakistan acting in the concert on the land borders is india's military nightmare which new delhi will have to avoid at all costs chinese supplies meanwhile beijing has made certain significant moves towards new delhi in the recent days china's president xi jinping sent a message to mr modi to convey sympathy and express condolences over the pandemic which was the first communication between the two since the border crisis began last year the chinese foreign minister spoke to his indian counterpart twice and offered help to deal with the pandemic which led to an early clearance and approval of cargo flights from china the chinese ambassadors to india has been highlighting the supplies and the materials being sent to india beijing's efforts have been largely confined to private companies and donation from the red cross and red crescent societies unlike other countries which have pledged government help to india curiously much of the chinese media ambiguously frames it as chinese aids while india explicitly avoids that framing and lays stress on the point that these are largely commercial contracts between private companies even if the chinese intent is to project itself on a par with other global powers providing relief and aid to india the fact remains that india is heavily dependent on china for crucial medical supplies stayed on uh, sichuan Airlines has suspended cargo flights to India for 15 days beginning last month but the supply chains have since been kept open by Beijing this is in tune with the indian demand from beijing that the supply chain should remain open but the other demand to ensure stable product prices has not been met more points scoring If the recent weeks during the pandemic provided an opportunity for the two Asian giants to work together, that hope has been lost as both the governments have focused on point scoring. That reflects the broader state of bilateral ties, but it's also a fundamental difference emanating from the ongoing border crisis. As the talks between India and China have floundered, New Delhi has taken a position that the border issue is central to the bilateral relationship. This runs contrary to Beijing's argument that the boundary question cannot be seen as whole of the bilateral relationship. In an ideal world, New Delhi can hope for a settlement that delineates and demarcates the LEC in some form, but Beijing has ruled out any such proposal. With soldiers of both armies facing each other in Ladakh and a lack of trust between the two countries as the two governments talk past each other in a period of geopolitical churn, It is clear that the China-India bilateral relationship is moving into a zone of increasing disruptions and attendant risk of conflagration on the disputed border. Sushant Singh is a senior fellow with the Center for Policy Research, New Delhi. The next editorial of the day is it is getting from bad to worse for women workers in the pandemic women have borne a disproportionate burden of severe disruptions to life and the economy this article is written by Rosa Abraham and Amit Bosley Basole 
The COVID-19 pandemic has destroyed millions of livelihoods and led to a seven uh, sudden and large increase in poverty and uh, a massive disruption of the labor market in India. Women workers in particular have borne a disproportionate burden as the country meets the challenge of the second wave of the, of the pandemic. It is crucial to learn lessons from the first wave and to chart the policy path ahead. A widening gap. Even prior to 2020, the gender employment gap was large. Only 18% of working age women were employed as compared to 75% of men. Reasons include a lack of good job, restrictive social norms and the burden of household work. A recently released report, State of Working India, Working India 2021, one year of COVID-19, shows that the pandemic has worsened the situation. The nationwide lockdown hit women much harder than men. Data from the Center for Monitoring Indian Economy Private Limited shows that 61% of the male workers were unaffected during the lockdown, while nine, only 19% of women experienced this kind of security. Even by the end of the year, 47% of the employed women who had lost jobs during the lockdown had not returned to work. The equivalent number for men was only 7%. Men who didn't lose work were able to regain it, even if it was at the cost of increased precarity or lower earrings, earnings because they had the option of moving into fallback employment arrangement. Thus, 33% of former salaried men move into self-employment and 9% into daily wage work between late 2019 and late 2020. In contrast, women had few fewer court options. Only 4% and 3% of former salaried women moved into self-employment daily wage workers respectively. Nearly half of the women workers, irrespective of whether irrespective of whether they were salaried, casual or self-employed uh, withdraw from the workforce as compared to only 11% of men. Even as new entrants to the workforce, women workers had poorer options compared to men. Women were more likely to endure as daily wage workers while men found avenues for self-employment. Daily wage work is typically far less remunerative than self-employment as on average between September to October 2020. A daily wage workers earn about to be 7965 Compared to a self-employed worker who earned nearly twice that as uh, that of 12,055. So not only did women enter into more precarious work, it was also likely to be at very low earnings compared to the men. Women tended to lose work uh, disproportionately irrespective of the industry in which they were employed. For instance, the share of women in job losses in education was three times in the share in their industry. So while around 20 out of 100 workers in education were women, amongst those who lost work about 70 out of 100 were women. Similarly, in the health sector, 40 out of 100 workers were women, while of the 100 in this sectors who lost work, 80 were women. Growing domestic work with schools closed and almost everyone limited to the confines of their homes, household responsibilities increased for women. Married women and women from larger households were less likely to return to work, suggesting that the burden of care may be reason for poor employment recovery. But even for those women who managed to remain employed, this came alongside a massive increase 
and the burden of household work. The India Working Survey 2020 found that among employed men, the number of hours spent on paid work remained more or less unchanged after the pandemic. But for women, the number of hours spent in domestic work increased manyfold. In February March, about a 10% to 20% of women reported spending between two to four hours on domestic work. This share has increased to about 50% by September. This increase in hours came without any accompanying relief in the hours spent on the paid work. The course to take. The long-standing questions of women's participation in India's economy has become more urgent with the pandemic disproportionately impacting women's paid work and increasing the burden of unpaid care work. The following measures are needed now. Expansion of the Mahatma Gandhi National Rural Employment Guarantee Act that was MG Narika and the introduction of an Urban Employment Guarantee targeted to women as soon as the most severe forms of mobility restrictions are lifted. We further propose coordinated efforts by states to facilitate employment of women while also addressing immediate needs through the setting up of community kitchens, prioritizing the opening of schools and aganwadi centers, and engagement with self-help groups for the production of personal protective equipment kits. Further, a COVID-19 hardship allowance of at least Rs. 5,000 per month for six months should be announced for 2.5 million uh, for 2.5 million accredited social health activists and Anganwadi workers, most of the whom are women. But this is not enough. The national employment policy currently in the work should systematically address the constraints around the participation of the women's workforce. But with respect to the availability of work and household responsibilities, the pandemic has shown the necessity of adequate public investment and social infrastructure. The time is right to imagine a bold universal basic services program that not only fits fills existing vacancies in the social sector but also expands public investment in health, education, child and elderly care and so on to be prepared for future shocks. This can help bring women into the workforce not only by directly creating employment for them but also by elevating some of their domestic work burdens while also overcoming nutritional and educational deficits that we are likely to be confronted with as we emerge from the crisis. is using all options. Enabling other manufacturers to produce co-vaccine is a necessary step. As the second COVID-19 wave continues to revise the country, it is now clear that universal and swift vaccination is the only way out to mitigate the effects of the pandemic. But with only 3% and 10.4% of the total population estimated to have taken the second and single dose respectively, the goal of vaccinating a substantial number of people to achieve immunity against SARS-CoV-2 and its variants remains a tall order for India. Supply constraints in delivering the only two vaccines available to Indians so far, that is Covishield and Covaxin, the Russian-developed Sputnik V vaccine which has just been deployed, are one of the reasons why the pace of vaccination has fallen. Russia have halted vaccination for the 18 to 44 age groups to address this as well. While the Manufacturer's Serum Institute of India and Bharat Biotech have promised an augmentation in production capacity, the dependence on them till other vaccines, including those from abroad, are made available over the long term. Will remain a constraint in the pace of vaccination and expose much of the population to the possibility of infection.
India has rightly sought a temporary waiver of provisions on the TRIPS agreement to facilitate universal access to COVID-19 vaccine. But the center has done nothing to bring vaccines, vaccines and medicines under the statutory regime in India to allow for wider availability and a diversity of options. In fact, the center's submission to the Supreme Court that the exercise of statutory powers statutory powers under the patent act 1970 can only prove to be counterproductive at this stage is clearly contradictory to its international position for temporary waiver in the trips agreement the agreement allows exceptions to the right of patent owners by grant of compulsory licenses section 100 of the patent act 1970 allows the center to license specific companies to manufacture the vaccines while section 92 of the act allows the center to issue a compulsory license in circumstances of national or an extreme emergency. Considering the impact of second wave, the daily toll and the high case loads, the center should revisit its rigid and contradictory stance on the issue of compulsory licensing that would allow the manufacture of vaccine and important drugs without the consent of the patent holder. In the case of Bharat Biotech's co-vaccine, which was developed in collaboration with the publicly funded ICMR and the NIV, even this rule is redundant. The ICMR can license other people's sector other public sector vaccine manufacturers to help augment its supply over the medium term. As of now, two central PSUs, Indian Immunological Limited and Bibcall, have already entered into technology transfer agreement with Bharat Biotech besides the Hafkin Biopharmaceutical Corporation based in Mumbai. Other manufacturers can also repurpose their plans to produce a vaccine. Heartless and heartless, the government must respond to concerns about a demolition in Central V-Star redevelopment. The government of India's Central Vista redevelopment project is highly questionable as a new national priority at any time, and more so in the midst of a pandemic. The project includes the construction of a new parliament building and a new residences for the Prime Minister and Vice President. A new parliament building is indeed required, and there is a strong case for recognizing the existing offices of the central government. However, the architecture and timeliness of the timelines of the redevelopment, as it is happening now, are less about the need and more about an imperious obsession with the grandeur. The irony is that a colossus built amidst the ruins of a pandemic could turn out to be a monument to the government's disregard for public good. The misplaced determination of the centre to complete the project before the next Lok Sabha election in 2024 is characteristic of the, slow ma- of the showmanship that has befallen governance in India. But there is no justifiable urgency in raising to the ground a row of building and then rebuilding. Last week, 76 scholars, artists, writers, curators and museum professionals put this spotlight on a particularly concerning aspect of the project. The National Museum of India, Nandra Gandhi National Centre for the Arts that is IGNCA and the National Archives NXA are set to be demolished to make way for new building these experts have called for an immediate suspension of the project and wide public consultations on the path ahead. There are valid concerns about the conservation of the collections housed at these centers, relocation of the treasure, treasure, treasures at the National Museum, archival records at the National Archives, and manuscripts holding at the IGNCA can be an extremely challenging task even during ordinary times. 
It is a complex operation that requires detailed planning and expertise. Such changes around premier institutions take place only after wide consultation in any part of the world, and certainly not in the opaque and cavalier manner as is being planned here. Artifacts at the National Museum still lack a complete inventory. The experts have pointed out flagging the risk of loss or mishandling. The Central Vista Redevelopment Project is clearly being implemented in a hurry. The government's intolerance to war- towards any towards any public scrutiny of the project is such that even photography of the construction is now banned. The country is facing an unprecedented health crisis. The ripple effect of which are being felt in the economic, social and political spheres too. The government will lose nothing if it were to suspend the project and take the opposition and the public into confidence on the future course in calmer times. Restructuring the tribunal system. It is time to set up a national tribunal commission that is Akanksha Mishra and Siddharth Mandekar Rao is the author are the authors of this article. The center has abolished several appellate tribunals and authorities and transferred their jurisdiction to other existing judicial bodies through the tribunal's reforms, rationalization and conditions of services. Ordinance 2021 This ordinance has been challenged in the Supreme Court. Sharp criticism The ordinance has met with sharp criticism for not only bypassing the usual legislative process but also for abolishing several tribunals such as the film certification in appellate tribunal without any stakeholders consultation despite the supreme court's direction in roger matthew versus south india bank 2019 no judicial impact assessment was conducted prior to abolishing the tribunals through this ordinance while the ordinance has incorporated the suggestions made in madras bar association versus union of india 2020 on the composition of a search come selection committee and its role in disciplinary proceeding it is also Fix a four-year tenure for chairpersons and members of tribunals, notwithstanding anything contained in any judgment, order, or decree of any court, by blatantly disregarding the court's direction for fixing a five-year term. Further, the centre is yet to constitute a national tribunals commission, an independent umbrella body to supervise the function of tribunals, appointment of and disciplinary proceeding against members, and to take care of administrative and infrastructural needs of the tribunals. The idea of an NTC was first mooted in L. Chandra Kumar v. Union of India 1997, but it has still not seen the light of the day. Initiating dialogue and promoting awareness about the NTC is vital for overcoming the government's inertia in establishing such a body. Developing an independent oversight body for accountable governance requires a legal framework that protects its dependence and impartiality. Where the institutional design is not properly conceived, partition interests can twist the law to serve political or private interests. In India, executive interference in the functioning of tribunal is often seen in matters of appointment and removal of tribunal members, as well as in provision of finances, infrastructure, personnel, and other reasons required for the day to date functioning of the tribunals. Therefore, the NTC must be established by the constitutional amendment or be backed by a statute that guarantees its functional, operational, and financial independence. 
One of the main reason that has motivated the idea of NDC is the need for an authority to support uniform administration across all tribunals. The NDC could therefore pave the way for separation of the administrative and judicial functions carried out by various tribunals. A corporatized structure of the NTC with a board, a CEO and a secretariat will allow it to scale up its services and provide requisite administrative support to all tribunals over the country or across the country. Administrative duties. The NTC would ideally take on some time, uh, ideally take on some duties relating to administrative and oversight administration and oversight. It could set performance standards for the efficiency of tribunals and their own administrative processes. Importantly, it could function as an independent recruitment body to develop and operationalize the procedure for disciplinary proceedings and appointments of tribunal members, giving the NTC the authority to set member salaries, allowance and other service conditions subject to regulations would help maintain tribunals independence. Administrative roles of the NTC include providing support services to tribunal members, litigants and their lawyers. For this purpose, it would need to be able to hire and supervise administrative staff and to consolidate, improve and modernize tribunal's infrastructure. As the Finance Ministry has been invested with the responsibility for tribunals until the NTC is constituted, it should come up with a transition plan. The way to reform the tribunal system is to look at solutions from a system, systematic perspective supported by evidence, establishing the NTC will definitely entail a radical restructuring of the present tribunal system.